Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Safety and Health Podcast by SHP. I'm your host, Ian Hart, and I'm the editor of SHP. On this episode of the show, we're going to look into a study published by the University of Leeds and Hazard's campaign, which investigated 12 suicide cases that occurred between 2015 and 2020 to discover whether they could be attributed to the workplace. You're about to hear a conversation between myself and Sarah Waters, Professor of French Studies at the University of Leeds, who is a specialist on French labour and the French workplace. I began by asking Professor Waters to introduce herself and talk a little bit about how the study came about. I'm Professor of French Studies at the University of Leeds, and my research focuses on French labour and the French workplace. I've been working on that for many, many years. And then in about 2010, the French media started reporting on waves of suicide that were taking place in different French companies, notably France Telecom, which was the most reported company at the time. And I was completely taken aback by this because my research on work had always shown that work is a space that brings people into society, it gives them stability, it gives them a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, it gives them a sense of purpose and I just couldn't understand why and how work and working conditions would get so bad that someone would actually want to take their own lives. And so I was really shocked and fascinated and perplexed by what was going on. And that was the driving point for my research. And I published a book last year on French workplace suicides. But I've also worked closely with the Hazards team who have really led the campaign in the UK on work-related suicide. And I've tried to use my research on the French context to, you know, shed a light on what was happening in the UK and the very, very different regulatory context in the UK on work-related suicides. It's part of that background that's led you to publish this study recently, which has looked into a selection of suicide cases. Can you talk a little bit about the reasons behind the study, what it involved, and what the aims of the study were going into it? Yeah, sure. So the aim of the study was to look very closely at some of work-related causal factors that might lead to suicide, to look at some of the causal connections between suicide and work in the UK context, mainly because unlike other countries, unlike France, unlike the US, unlike most European systems, Suicide, even where there are clear links to work, is pretty much treated in the UK context as an individual mental health problem. There tends to be a denial on the part of the HSC, on the part of other public agencies, that there is a link between suicide and work. So our aim was to bring to light some of the causal factors that drive employees to suicide in the UK context. We undertook an in-depth study of 12 individual suicide cases that had occurred between 2015 and 2020. And we basically looked at every single document, every single text, 
that had been written or produced in relation to each of those 12 suicide cases. And so we really wanted to open them up to scrutiny, to look at the factors in detail. And we also did extensive interviews for each of the suicide cases. We interviewed family members, colleagues, trade union reps. And so this was an effort to push the research forward in the UK context and to give concrete evidence of the connections between suicide and work and show what some of those causal connections were in the small sample that we looked at. And what were some of the findings and what did you discover off the back of it? The cases that we selected had all already had work-related evidence as part of the suicide. So we were looking at cases where work-related factors had already been established by an official source, by a coroner, by an employer, by a police investigation. So we knew there were work-related factors there and we wanted to look at what they were. Some of them, one prominent causal factor was unmanageable workloads, people burdened with so many different tasks, so many different roles that they simply couldn't cope. They were pushed into a situation of chronic overwork which destabilised their lives, destabilised their mental health. This is a very well-known phenomenon in Japan. Japan has a very particular corporate culture and there's a phenomenon called karujitsatu or suicide by overwork where people literally work themselves to death. They end up working continuously, intensively and have a breakdown and take their own lives. So this is one of the factors we found in our study but is also prevalent more widely. Long and irregular working hours, particularly in the health sector, people working very long and unpredictable hours so that they can construct a stable personal life, a stable family life. We found workplace bullying. Two of the cases we looked at had documented evidence of workplace bullying. Both of the cases involved young trainees, very tragically, where there was documented evidence of persistent bullying over a period of time. Exposure to violence and trauma. So within the emergency services, we looked at two cases of firefighters. We looked at the case of a police officer, all of whom had been exposed to trauma in the course of their work, and it had really catastrophic effects on their mental health and resulted in a suicide in each of those three cases. Just going back a little bit to overworking, I know the study has only looked at fairly recent cases. Is there any evidence to suggest that this is more of a newer phenomenon that people are overworking themselves in, in the data-driven age that we're in and people having access to their emails at home. And Is this kind of thing more prevalent now than it maybe was 40, 50, 60 years ago? Absolutely, and that was, I think, one of the points that I was going to mention at the beginning. What really interested me about this is that in historical terms it appears to be a new social phenomenon. There's something about changing conditions of work over the past 20 to 30 years, which is causing people trauma and which has resulted in a sharp rise in work-related suicides across the world. It's not just the UK. It's an international phenomenon. You know, if you go back to 19th century Britain, where there were really horrendous working conditions, you know, Marx and Engels went into exhaustive detail about the factories and how they affected the health and the lives of workers. 
There's hardly any mention of suicide in Marx's three volumes of Capital. Suicide isn't mentioned. In Engels' study, in, published in 1845, I think, of conditions in the factories in working-class England, suicide is barely mentioned. So there is something, as you pointed to, about the present time, which is placing unprecedented pressure on people's mental health, which is part of this problem. So I do think it's historically specific. It's linked to the fact that far more pressure is placed on mental health nowadays. It's not just about our physical bodies, our physical attributes, but also I would suggest deteriorating working conditions. There's a rise in precarious work. Workers become more unstable. Workers become more intense. Digital work means we're constantly switched on. We're expected to work all the time. So there's a whole complex series of factors which have placed huge pressures on mental health, which explain why work-related suicides are on the rise and why they're on the rise now at this particular moment in time. And looking more specifically at the UK, suicide figures are rising in the UK, particularly amongst working age men between 40 and 54. What do you put that down to, that specific kind of age bracket? General suicide rates are rising in the UK at the moment anyway, and the highest rates, as you've just said, are amongst working age men. There was a very important study produced by researchers at the University of Manchester that came out earlier this year called Suicide Among Middle-Aged Men that looked precisely at why middle-aged men have such high rates of suicide. And they found a lot of the factors are socioeconomic. So things like the effects of unemployment, the effects of poor housing, also issues around mental health, substance abuse. Our criticism of that report is precisely that it doesn't look at work. We know the highest rates are amongst working age men, but why aren't we looking at work? Why aren't we looking at changing conditions of work? Why aren't we looking at why work today is resulting in higher rates of suicide amongst working age men. That report found that they studied a vast number of cases and 30% of their sample were unemployed at the time of death. But what about the other 70%? Most research on suicide is conducted by epidemiologists, people working in public health, people working in the medical sector, who often to look at the socio-economic or the workplace factors mm. that are relevant. You touched on that a little bit there, for work-related suicides to be monitored and regulated and, and ultimately prevented. In your opinion, why do you think that it's currently underreported and work isn't really looked at in the reports that you mentioned there? This is precisely the question that we're raising with the HSC and with other public agencies. There is considerable resistance in the UK to treat suicide as something that is work-related. There's a persistent misconception that 
suicide isn't something that's work-related. And so in the HSC regulations where they set out the range of work-related deaths that must be reported to them for further investigation, they specifically exclude suicide. Suicide is presumed to be a personal, individual, voluntary act. It's presumed to stem from individual mental health and not from work. And what we're trying to say is that this is dangerous because it means that the conditions, practices or policies that have pushed one person to take their own life remain unchanged. There's no obligation for an employer to do anything about them, to make any changes in the aftermath of a suicide. So those conditions continue to persist for everyone else. There are other more concrete issues. The HSC is underfunded. Its means are restricted. They don't want to take on additional health and safety responsibilities. There's a tendency to turn a blind eye to this. There's an unwillingness also to introduce any new regulations or introduce any more legally enforceable requirements in the workplace. We've liaised with the HSE over many years and they come back to us and they say, look, this is too complex, it's multifaceted, it's subjective, we can't expect employers to take responsibility for employee suicide. And we come back to them and we say, look, in France, in the UK, in the US, in Japan, in Korea, this is considered to be a really important public health issue. Why is it in the UK that it's only subjective, complex and multifaceted? Why is the UK's position so out of line with these other countries where work-related suicide is taken seriously, where governments put legislation in place to ensure that it doesn't take place? What kind of feedback have you had from the government and from the HSE and and other people within the profession off off the back of this report and findings within it? It's Bringing about any change is extremely slow and it's cultural because I think it's not just a question of changing one piece of legislation. It's about changing a whole cultural mindset that tends to relegate suicide to the individual mental health sphere. With regard to the specifics, we sent our report to the HSC. We had a response from Sarah Alban, who's the HSC CEO, and her position was that this is too complicated, that it's too complicated to ask employers to report suicides to them. From our point of view, that's a fudge. Okay, it might be too complicated, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing something about it. And if a rather straightforward action, such as including suicides in the list of work-related deaths, was implemented, it could prevent avoidable deaths from taking place. And our report showed precisely that avoidable suicide deaths are taking place because of a lack of regulation and a lack of prevention. In one of the cases in an ambulance trust, there were four employee suicides in one year in 2019. If the HSE had intervened, had got involved in any one of those suicides, maybe the others wouldn't have taken place, but there was no involvement of the HSE at any point. One of the problems, of course, is because the data isn't collected, people can assert that the problem doesn't exist. 
in the United States, for example, every single suicide that takes place in the workplace is counted and is part of an annual database that is collected. And that is standard practice in most countries. What recommendations have you made off the back of the report and what kind of likelihood do you see of, of any change happening? Our main recommendation, and we see this as the foundation for every other type of change, is for the HSE to include suicide in the list of work-related deaths that are recorded and monitored by RIDOR and subject to further investigation. That really is the starting point for everything else. Until that is done, employers will continue to see suicide as something that concerns the individual and his or her family and not the workplace. We sent the report to the HSC. We also sent it to the chief coroner and a number of other professional organisations. So we had a series of recommendations for those different organisations. For the chief coroner, one of our key requests was for more consistent use of preventing future death reports. They're rarely used. They can be quite a powerful lever for changes in the workplace, but they're rarely used. But we think that the HSE, as the regulator for health and safety standards in the UK workplace, really it starts with them. And that's our key recommendation. We've also, in the United States, there are national guidelines on suicide prevention in the workplace. We think that's a very, very good approach because one of the problems in the UK is the approach is very fragmented, public health taking initiatives, the HSC works on mental health, Char suicide charities also work on this, but the approach is very fragmented and we think by having a coordinated strategy it could bring these various agencies together to focus on this in a more coherent way. Hazard's produced a campaign which resulted in thousands of postcards being sent to HSE calling for it to change its approach to work-related suicides. It estimates that 10% of suicides may be work-related, so it reports the latest figure for the UK to be around 650. On putting together this episode, SHP asked HSE for comment on the report and some of the recommendations made by it. HSE issued the following statement. The reporting of injuries, diseases and dangerous occurrences regulations 2013 only requires fatalities to be reported if they are a result of a work-related accident. Our policy position remains that for an occurrence to be considered work-related, it must arise out of or in connection with work and that an accident is an unforeseen and unintentional consequence of that work. As such, incidents of suicide and or self-harm do not meet the reporting requirements under Riddle. HSE's incident selection criteria is based upon the definitions used within Riddle. A coroner can choose to draw HSE's attention to the case of suicide that they consider the enforcing authority should be aware of. Additionally, where a person has committed suicide and there are concerns that this was as a result of their work, then this can be raised directly with HSE as a concern, for example, by the family or partner of the deceased. There are no plans at present to revise or amend the reporting requirements under the RIDOR reporting regime. HSE says it has developed a lot of resources to help employers, irrespective of size or sector, to assess the risks of work-related stress and mental health to their staff. Where risks are identified, the employer must take steps to remove or manage them as far as reasonably practicable. You can read the full HSE statement 
on the article connected to this episode on SHP by clicking on the link in the resources section of this episode. I'd like to thank Professor Sarah Waters for her time and to you for tuning in. If you're new to the Sapling Health Podcast, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. Last time out, we were joined by Anna Keane, founding director at Ata Frameworks, who provided guidance on learning the relevant skills to progress your career, delving into how to present yourself confidently and providing some tips for leaders when dealing with imposter syndrome. You can find the link to the podcast hub where all of the episodes are hosted in the description. If you like what you hear, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We are also available on your smart speaker. Simply ask to play the Safety and Health Podcast. We'd be really grateful if you could rate us and comment on your chosen platform, as that will help to get the shows out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned to shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news, where you can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Thank you very much for listening and see you on the next episode. Music